Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 16. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except his own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So what we may understand, what God has freely given us, this is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord? so as to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Anyone assigned male at birth from competing with female players. The bill is the latest in a nationwide push to pass such legislation. Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf has said that he plans to veto the measure should it pass. Kansas Governor Laura Kelly vetoed a similar bill in her state Thursday. She said in part, this legislation sends a devastating message that Kansas is not welcoming to all children and their families, including those who are transgender. Now that's, that's one of the biggest debates in our world at the moment, isn't it? That's actually from this week. Should transgender people be allowed to compete in sport in their new gender? So if I was born as a man but transitioned to become a woman, should I be allowed to play sport as a woman? And it's an incredibly difficult and painful argument because people's private lives are being caught up in public political debate and that's never actually a good thing. But what's really interesting watching on as a Christian is largely this is an argument that is between non-Christian and non-Christian. Christians might have an opinion on this but to be honest, nobody's really listening to us. We're only on the, the very edge of the debate. Really, this is a clash between worldviews that non-Christians hold. See, on both sides of this debate are, are people who see the world very differently. On, on one side of the debate are people whose position is based on what they see as biological facts. So here's an article from something called the Sports Performance Bulletin. It's a journal for professional sports coaches. And the headline is, Transgender Women in Sport, Why Biology Matters. And they say, here is a statement of fact. 
males enjoy significant physical performance advantages over females within competitive sport. This is because sporting performance is strongly influenced by a range of physiological factors, including muscle force and power producing capacity, size characteristics, cardiorespiratory capacity, and numerous metabolic factors. Now, do you notice the basis of the argument? The basis of the argument is what they see as statements of fact. Physiological factors, muscle force, cardiorespiratory capacity, all things that you can measure. Basically, they say that they're arguing from science and biology. The other side, though, argues from a very different perspective. So Sport Australia is the national body for sport in our country. And last year, they produced guidelines for the inclusion of transgender and gender diverse people in sport. And they say, Gender identity is defined in the act as the gender-related identity, appearance, or mannerisms, or other gender-related characteristics of a person, whether by way of medical intervention or not, with or without regard to a person's designated sex at birth. In other words, that side of the debate says it's not biology that counts at all. It's identity. This is about how I see myself and how I act, my, my appearance and my mannerisms, those are the things that should decide my, uh, this issue, not biology. Now again, I want you to notice, neither of these two groups are Christians. This is largely a debate in the non-Christian world, and it's a clash of two very different worldviews. One worldview is called modernism, and the other worldview is called postmodernism. Modernism is basically the idea that we look outside of ourselves for truth. And, and it looks out at the world, the physical world, using our senses. Sight, smell, touch, hearing, taste. Modernism relies on things like physics and biology and science and maths. It relies on experiments and results. Modernism also holds to big ideas like progress truth, meaning, justice. And so if you want wisdom as a modernist, you look outside of yourself. But if modernists look outside, then postmodernism by and large looks in. I don't so much look at what science says or the big ideas of progress or truth. It's actually what's in my heart that counts. What's right for me as an individual? Who do I see myself as being, my identity? Truth and wisdom is actually found in being true to yourself. Can you see the big difference? Modernism looks out. Postmodernism looks in. And so you can see why neither side of this debate can really understand where the other one's coming from. It's obvious why they can't see why. Their whole way of looking at life and reality is completely different. In fact, people who are influenced by modernism and people who are influenced by postmodernism will disagree on most issues. Even something as distant from transgenderism as Harry and Meghan. You know, Harry and Meghan and their big split from the royal family. The modernist, the person who's been influenced by modernism, will look at Harry and Meghan completely different to the postmodernist. The modernist will say, Harry and Meghan are being selfish. They should be true. They should be devoting themselves to something bigger beyond themselves, to service, to sacrifice, 
to loyalty. It's what the Queen has done. The postmodernist says, good on them. They're being true to their own heart. They're following their own dreams. They're separating themselves from the oppression of the rest of the royal family. You see how they view the world totally differently? Now, the thing is, most people won't call themselves a modernist or a postmodernist. We don't really have those tags in our mind, but we are all deeply, deeply influenced by these two worldviews. They're the two dominant worldviews on, on the planet today. And so, just for an experiment, which of those two do you think most influences you? Which, of do, you, which do you think it kind of best approaches the way you naturally would approach the world? Put up your hand if you think you're more like the, the modernist outward looker view to science and those kinds of things. Put up your hand if you're that person. Yeah? Put up your hand if you think you're more inclined towards the postmodern, I look inward, I find what's authentically true to me and the kind of person that I am. Yeah, it's not as many in this room. What's interesting is that by tonight, those numbers will have flipped. By the time I reach uni church, most of the people in the room will have grown up, grown up in a postmodern world. Generally, the older you are, the more likely you are to be a modernist, which tells you that you're not right, you're just old. <laughs> now, generally, modernists and postmodernists can't agree on much. But there is one thing they can both agree on, and that is that Christians are stupid. <laughs> Whether you're a modernist or a postmodernist, Christianity makes absolutely no sense at all. Because you see, the modernist says, where is this God you worship? I believe in physics. I believe in maths. I believe in biology. Can you find this God of yours by sight, smell, touch, taste, feeling? Can you measure him? Can you prove your God experimentally? No. Well, he doesn't exist. God and religion is nothing more than a leap in the dark. And the postmodernist is not a big fan of Christianity either. Because Christianity is a belief system that gets imposed on you from above. It's something that someone else made up. You're not being true to yourself. You're following a book. You're following creeds. You're following churches. You're following dogma. That's crazy. The place to find religion is in your heart. You see, modernism and postmodernism are the two dominant cultural views in our world. And both of them say Christian, Christianity is for fools. Is it any wonder no one is a Christian anymore? Kind of makes you wonder. If your friends, wherever they sit on that spectrum, why would anyone ever in this world, how could anyone ever become a Christian? Our big prayer for a number of years now has been that God will give Jesus 30,000 people in Newey and Lake Mac, just for a start. That would be one in 10 in our community. If we could reach one in 10, then all of a sudden Christians would be everywhere. They'd be hard to ignore. What a pipe dream. How could that ever happen in a world of modernists and postmodernists? Those three friends you pray for, because that's the other big thing we do. We pray for three friends. You're praying that one day they'll come along to life with you and they'll hear about Jesus and they'll become Christians. What hope have you got? If they're modernists, they'll think that Christianity is a fairy tale. If they're postmodernists, they'll think that Christianity is oppressive. What hope have you got? Have I depressed you enough yet? 
Because that's what we're looking at today. What hope have we got of people becoming Christians? And if you were here last week, you'll remember that being out of step with our culture is nothing new for Christians. Paul was deeply out of step with his culture. Remember last week, Paul said, the Jews, they love miracles, displays of power. The Greeks, they love wisdom. And what do we preach? We preach Christ crucified, a murdered Messiah, a crucified king. It's not powerful. It's not wise. It's foolishness. Who ever worshipped a king who died as a criminal? In fact, Paul even admitted to being a fool. So have a look in chapter 2, verse 4 again. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. He says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. See what he's saying there? Paul admits his message was not wise, nor was it persuasive. And yet... Let's look at the rest of it. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul says, Christianity may look foolish to the world, but actually this is a message with spiritual power, power that's greater than human wisdom and it's got power to bring people to faith and so today we're going to see why we should actually be confident about our friends becoming Christians we should be confident about reaching Newey and Lake Mac with the gospel because as foolish as it looks Christianity is actually a message of wisdom look what he says in our first verse 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 6 we do however speak a message of wisdom among the mature but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. See, Christianity with its crucified king may look like a foolish religion to the world, but Paul says, no, 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 it's actually wisdom. But it's just not this world's wisdom. It's not like modernism or postmodernism. Because look in verse 7, he says, no, we declare God's wisdom. And this is absolutely key. Modernism, postmodernism, every other ism is fundamentally based on human understanding. So the modernist looks out at the world through his senses and his mind, his microscope, his theorems, his research. And if it doesn't make sense to me, then it doesn't make sense at all. Which is an incredibly arrogant way of looking at the world, isn't it? My intellect and my reason is the judge of everything that is true and wise. But the postmodernist is exactly the same. She just looks into her own heart. What am I feeling? What is being true to me and my desires and my personality? Because that's what must be right. See, modernism and postmodernism, they're both fundamentally human to the core. And they're both fundamentally arrogant because they both say that I am the judge of everything that's right and true and wise. But Paul says, no, 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 Christianity is different. Christianity isn't human wisdom. This is God's wisdom we're talking about. This isn't something that we made up. What does Peter say in 2 Peter chapter 1? He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. 
For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, Christianity isn't a human interpretation of the world. It's not that Moses sat down and thought, you know, the world's a bit of a mess. I might come up with my version of what's true. It's not like Peter or Paul thought, hey, let's decide to make up a new religion. Now, this is God's interpretation of things. The prophets spoke from God. Christianity is something called revelation. It's a revealed religion. It's not that we look out for the truth. It's not that we look in for the truth. Its truth is revealed to us from God. Which is kind of why it's ironic that Paul says, well, actually, it's a truth that's hidden from us. Because have a look at verse 6 again. He says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Here's why Christianity, the world thinks Christianity is foolish and stupid. Paul says God has hidden his wisdom from them. So for, for centuries, God hid the wisdom that he was the only true God. God hid the idea that Jesus would be a king who would die for us, that the king of the universe would be a crucified criminal. None of the rulers of Jesus' day understood this. If they had of, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. Look what he says in the next verse, verse 8. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. It's obvious, isn't it? Clearly the Romans and the Jews didn't understand God's wisdom. It's obvious because they crucified God's king. If they'd known Jesus was God's king, they wouldn't have crucified him. If they'd listened when Jesus said that he was the Messiah and actually declared himself to be God, if they paid attention when Jesus did miracles that proved he was the Messiah, they wouldn't have crucified him. But they didn't listen. And they didn't pay attention and so they crucified him. But Peter's point is they didn't listen and they didn't pay attention because God wanted them to crucify Jesus. See, this is another thing that's really important to get. The Romans and the Jews were not just hard and blind. They were hardened and blinded by God. God hid his wisdom from them because he wanted them to crucify Jesus. Peter says that, doesn't he, in Acts chapter 4. He's praying to God and he says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you'd anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. You see, here's Pontius Pilate and the Jews and they're all conspiring against Jesus. They were blind and they were hard to who Jesus was. But Peter says they only did what God's power and will had decided beforehand should happen. God blinded them and hardened them. He hid from them the great wisdom that Jesus really was his eternal king so that they would crucify him. And you think, why on earth would God do that? Why on earth would God hide his truth from people? Why does God do that now? Well, look, part of it is that God wanted Jesus to die at the hands of his enemies. It was crucial that Jesus be crucified by the very people that he was dying to save. But it was also just something we saw last week. 
And that is that God won't allow himself to be understood by arrogant people. Just flip back to chapter 1, verse 19 for a second. Chapter 1, verse 19, this is what we looked at last week. Paul says, it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? See, Paul says God destroys the wisdom of the wise and, and the intelligence of the intelligent. And it's not because God hates wisdom or intelligence. No, God gave us brains to begin with. But God hates the arrogance that goes along with them. And God won't allow the arrogant scholar, the arrogant philosopher to find him. If you come to God thinking you've got all the answers as the all-wise scholar, as the philosopher, looking to prove God wrong, looking to punch holes in Christianity, you will never find him. If you come saying, well, what about evolution? What about miracles? What about the flood? What about transgender? What about gay marriage? As if God has to answer to you and satisfy your demands, you will never find him. It's not that those questions are wrong. They're actually really good questions. The Bible has answers to all of them. It's just that we have to approach God humbly. We have to approach him looking to listen to him and looking to find his truth, kind of the way we actually should approach anybody. The rulers of Jesus' day refused to listen to Jesus as he stood before them and they crucified the Lord of glory because God had hidden his wisdom from them. And he still does. But Paul says some people do see God's wisdom. Some people do see the wisdom of a crucified king. How do they see it? Well, look in verse 9. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, these things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Christianity is a spiritual message. Christians are fundamentally different to everyone else in the world. We're not the modernists who discover truth with our five senses, although we do use our senses. We believe in them. And we're not the postmodernists who discover the truth by looking within to find the authentic me, although we do believe in knowing ourselves. Christians are spiritual people. We have the truth revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the fundamental difference between Christians and the rest of the world. And if you look under point three, you'll see two things about spiritual wisdom. The first one is Christianity is spiritually preached. So have a look from verse 12. Paul says, What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. So verse 13 is where we want to be, isn't it? I think Paul's really talking firstly about himself as an apostle there. And he's saying, this foolish message that I preach to you, Corinthians, this crazy message about a king who died on a cross, a criminal on a cross being the ruler of the universe, 
He says, that's a message that was actually taught to me by the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't make it up. He didn't hear it in the streets. He was actually taught it by the Spirit. He says the same thing in Galatians chapter 1. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. See, Paul refutes this idea it's a human thing. He says it's a revealed gospel. He received it by revelation from Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Holy Spirit is the one person, the best person qualified to reveal God. So look in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 2 in our passage. He says, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. For what we've received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what he's freely given us. See, who better to reveal God's secret hidden wisdom than God's spirit? No one knows God better than his spirit. The spirit's one with God. The spirit is God. The spirit knows all of God's deepest secrets. And so the spirit is the perfect person to reveal God's message. And so what's Paul preaching in verse 13? Paul says, my preaching is explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. He says, I explain to you the spiritual reality of the world with words that were taught to me by the Holy Spirit. That's how Paul spoke. And you may never have realized this, but you're exactly the same. You know when you explain the gospel to your friends, you're there and they say, they finally say, what is it that you believe? If you're anything like me, in that moment, I get tongue-tied, I get lost, I get confused, the ideas seem to come out in all the wrong order, and I inevitably find myself thinking, none of this is even remotely clear. How on earth would anyone be convinced by the explanation of the gospel I just gave? And yet somehow they are, and people become Christians. Because like Paul, when we explain the gospel to people, we're explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. As you tell people the message of the king, the Holy Spirit is at work in you. He's helping you. So that it's not just you speaking. The Holy Spirit is speaking at the same time. Every time the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit speaks. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities in Spirit-taught words. And it's not just the spoken message either. The Bible's the same. Remember to Peter from earlier. Peter said, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The prophets who wrote the scriptures were carried along by the Spirit. They were writing, they were choosing the words, but the Spirit was guiding them so that they wrote exactly what God wanted them to say. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says there, the scriptures are actually breathed out by God. As Paul wrote, God was breathing his words through him. That's why the Bible is true. Because God wrote it by his spirit. 
That's why the Bible's our authority, because God wrote it by his spirit. That's why the Bible's everything we need. Notice Paul says there, so that he equips us for every single good work. Why? Because God wrote it by his spirit. Christianity is a spiritually preached and spiritually written message. And yet it's more than that. It's also spiritually understood. So look in verse 12. He says, We haven't received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we may understand what God's freely given us. See, the Christian message isn't just spoken in the power of the spirit and written in the power of the spirit. It's also received in the power of the spirit. I still find this idea amazing. Do you know that the same spirit who was at work in Paul when he preached and when he wrote, that same spirit is inside of you as you read those words. The same spirit who was in the person working through the person who explained the gospel to you was in you at the same time so that you could hear it. And the spirit was explaining the gospel to you so that you could understand what God's freely given you. And he was convincing you. And he was convicting you of your sin. And he was leading you to love Jesus and to trust Jesus and believe in him. The Spirit takes the message that he caused to be preached and he works in us so that we will then believe it. You see, becoming a Christian is never just a brain exercise. It's not just about being convinced. It's not just about weighing up the facts and looking at all the evidence, and reading all the books, and deciding if it makes sense. It is about those things, but it's about so much more. It's also a spiritual exercise. In 1 Corinthians 12, we'll get through this in a few years' time, Paul says, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So he says, naturally, the human state is to be led astray, to mute idols. In a couple of chapters before that, oh, sorry, a couple of chapters just before it, chapter 10, he says, these mute idols, there's actually demons behind them. The nature of being human is, we are led astray. It's not just that my brain fails to find the truth, It's that I've been led astray by spiritual forces. I am not capable of finding spiritual truths by myself. That's what's wrong with both modernism and postmodernism. But if the Holy Spirit works in me, and if it works in the preacher, if it's there in the Word, and he works in me, then I could say, Jesus is my Lord. Without the Holy Spirit, I'll never say that. I might, I might mouth the words, but they'll never come from my heart. And so look what Paul says in verse 14 of chapter 2, our passage. The person without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. Unless God gives you his Spirit, Christianity is only ever going to be nonsense for you. If you're a modernist, you'll say, it's all fairy tales. You can't believe any of this. If you're a most postmodernist, you'll say, it might be true for you, but it's not true for me. It doesn't speak to me. Because Christianity is spiritually discerned. 
I was having dinner with a couple of mates the other night. And we were talking about what convinces us to stay Christian. What convinces us that Christianity is still true? We've all been Christians long enough now that we've been through our doubts and our struggles. And we talked about things like, well, yeah, the Bible explains the world around us. Yes, that's a reason why I'm still a Christian. We talked about all the proofs for Jesus' resurrection. Yes, they're quite powerful when I look into them. We talked about how the Bible gives meaning to life and that sort of truth. And then one of us said, look, I actually think I'm still a Christian because of the Holy Spirit. The fact is I can't not believe. I hear the gospel and Jesus calls me. It's right, isn't it? That's why you're a Christian. We don't believe just because we made up our minds. We believe because God gave us the spirit and called us to believe. Which if you don't believe yet, that's a really hard thing to accept, isn't it? Because what that means is that you becoming a Christian is not just a case of you choosing God. No, he has to choose you first. And he has to give you his Holy Spirit so that you can understand him. That's really hard to take because I like to think that I'm in control. And so if you're someone who is thinking about becoming a Christian, will you ask God to open your eyes by the Holy Spirit? It's terribly humbling. But will you say to God, God, if you're there, please show yourself to me in the Bible. Please explain the message to me. Please convince me. Please allow me to believe. Will you pray that? Because unless he does, it'll never make sense to you. But if you are a Christian... This is a passage that gives us enormous confidence, doesn't it? We can be confident that people become Christians because it's not up to us. If the Spirit works in people, they will. Your, your three friends that you're praying for, what hope have you got that your three friends could ever become Christians? Well, only the hope in the power of the Spirit of God, which is kind of powerful, isn't it? It doesn't matter how hard they seem to be. It doesn't matter how uninterested they seem to be or how cynical they seem to be. If the Holy Spirit works in them, they will soften and they will become interested and they will begin to investigate and eventually they'll say, Jesus is my Lord. I'm incredibly confident about the friends that I'm praying for. I'm supremely confident about loads of people in Newey and Lake Mac becoming Christians. Because I know that it's not up to any of us. It's not up to how wise and persuasive we are. No, chapter 2, verse 4, it's all about the Spirit's power. And I tell you what, that gets me praying. That gets me talking to people. That gets me confident and courageous. Pray for your friends. Pray that the Spirit will open their eyes. Pray for 30,000 people in Newey and Lake Mac. Invite your friends to life. Be bold and confident, not in yourself, not in life, not in anything human, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And don't just be confident about evangelism. Be confident about what you believe. See, in verse, 13, verse 15, Paul makes a really extraordinary promise. Have a look in verse 15. He says, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, it's a bit of a mouthful, but that's incredible. Do you feel threatened by everything the world says about Christianity? Postmodernists saying it's all a bunch of fairy tales. Postmodernists saying this is oppressive and it's a religion. You've got to learn to be true to yourself. Social media, Facebook. You read everything that the world says about Christianity, and I don't know about you, but I'm tempted to just feel like an idiot. I'm tempted to feel like I'm a caveman believing something that's so completely out of date. But Paul says, no, no, no. If you're a Christian, you actually have the mind of Christ. You have Christ's mind. And he's not saying you're as smart as Jesus is or you know everything Jesus knows. He's saying, if you're a Christian, you have Jesus' spirit. And so you're not just able to understand the Bible. Now look in verse 15. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. And that word judge, judgments there, is assessment. Christians are able to make assessments about all things. You look out and you see postmodernism, and you look and you see modernism, and you see philosophies, and Islam, and Hinduism, and all these different things. Paul's saying, by the Holy Spirit, and the words that he teaches in the scriptures, you're actually able to assess those things. And it's not that God makes us magically smarter. It's that as we dig into the scriptures, the Holy Spirit gives us discernment. We know the truth. It's still hard work. I read something brilliant by John Stott yesterday. John Stott was a, a great Christian writer in the 20th century. And he said, in this complex and constantly changing world, we don't need more commentary. We need more pain in the mind, the struggle of careful study, and the strain required for understanding God's word and then applying it to the modern world. And that's brilliant. Everyone's talking. On Facebook, the whole thing is just full of commentary and everyone giving their opinion. And it's tempting to be really threatened by all that. But what Stott says is we need the pain in the mind. It hurts our heads to read the Bible. And to think from the Bible. And to think about things like transgender and marriage and euthanasia. But what Paul's saying is, by the Holy Spirit, you can do that. Even the simplest Christian can see through the world if they read their Bible and the Spirit shows them. And so when you hear the modernists say, God can't be proved, they don't exist. Don't be threatened by that. When you read Facebook and you just see these hysterical cries of postmodernisms who are offended, postmodernists who are offended by when anybody who ever disagrees with them, don't feel threatened by that. Ask for God's help. Dig into his word. Go through the brain pain and God will give you wisdom. I just think that's the most incredible promise in the world that we live in. So let's ask God to actually fulfill it. Let's pray. Our great God, we do live in a world where everyone seems to be at each other's throats. People disagree so fiercely and we can feel like we're left on the sidelines with nothing to say and nothing to believe except that we're wrong. We praise you 
that by your Holy Spirit you reveal wisdom. We praise you that we don't discover you by our cleverness, but that you reveal yourself even to little children. We praise you that by the Spirit you open our eyes. You help us to understand. You help us and enable us to believe. And we thank you for those people who, in the power of the Holy Spirit, talk to us and explain the gospel to us. We thank you that the Spirit was working in them to be able to speak truth, and that same Spirit was working in us in order to be able to understand truth. We thank you so much for this, because by ourselves we're lost and blind. And so we pray for our friends. Please, Father, have mercy on Nui and Lake Mac. Please bring 30,000 people to know and love Jesus just for a start. We pray for a powerful work of your Holy Spirit in our city. And we pray that we would be confident enough to speak, to pray. And we also pray that you'll enable us to do that painful brain work of digging into the Scriptures in the power of your Spirit to not be lost in the world, and washed about by every wind and wave, but to be confident, confident that we have the truth and confident that we have the words of eternal life. Amen.